welcome to The Third Wheel. This is going to be episode... Oh God, it's already falling apart. 10? I think it's 11. It might be 11. It is in fact 11. Do you it's... want one of us to start doing the intros? Nope. I <laughs> am perfectly capable. Okay. Prove it. I'll prove it by... I guess going out of order. This is called adaption. It's it's a little bit of improv I've picked up over time. We're gonna go ahead and skip to the part where I introduce that I am joined by Bion and Jesse. This is so nonlinear. I don't even think we said the name of the podcast. I did. I started off with that. Oh, I'll trust you. Now who's unprepared? <laughs> he said this is the third wheel, and oh gosh, I don't know what episode this is. I do know that during this episode, we're going to be talking about chapters 34 to 40 in The Great Hunt, still. We're so close to being We get done. to read about the girls and their suffering. Yes. And a little bit of the boys and their suffering. Everybody suffers in this part. Yeah. Is anyone happy at any point in this section? Um, there's one point when they're in the steading, which is probably a sign that they should stay there. But mm. we should all just stay in the steading and not bother with anything yeah nah, but, he, but then our good tall boy will have to get married and he doesn't want that yeah um instead i think we should take this portal stone to the actual discussion but we're gonna have to teleportal through it trust me it'll be okay okay i put my hand on my screen with the notes flicker a world in which this intro is going to be any good. Flicker. A world in which this is the 10th episode of the podcast. <laughs> Flicker. A world I'm, where Beyond became the announcer of everything. Unlikely, but Flicker. <laughs> A world in which I'm out of things to list for this intro. A world in which Tyler is funny. Flicker. A world Fl in which this podcast is starting. Flicker. No. <laughs> <laughs> flicker, flicker, flicker. Go back. It's not going to happen. I guess we could start. <laughs> okay. Chapter 34, The Wheel Weaves. Oh no, we're still in that other world. <laughs> I don't know, I kind of like it. So this chapter is Tom and the dramatic reveal um, in which that person with the death flags died. Yeah. Um, the flag was so high. The flag was so high. I mean, she was at least named, but uh, yeah, she's dead now. And then... More like Deadna. That's awful. Well, her name is Deadna. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he brutally attacks the assassins, and then he pledges to destroy whoever did this. And Tyler can explain in more words. I actually kind of like that format. Bion gives, like, a very brief description, and then Tyler goes in-depth. I'm being usurped. Hey. I don't mind. <laughs> Rise up. Whoa! <laughs> I mean, that probably does give my most first impressions if I just say the couple sentences of a chapter. Yeah, like what sticks out to you? Mm-hmm. He pledges to, to murder the king. And then doesn't. Well, only one half of this chapter is Tom, then the other half is Fane with the Shan Chan. 
oh yeah, I'm clearly your follower, and I have been your follower forever. <laughs> Let me pledge to you. Also, like, look at this horn. Look at this sexy, <laughs> sexy horn. Yeah. I liked his made-up story. But we'll get to it. Yes. <laughs> In a real format, run by a professional. Whoa. You don't even have a college degree. Please cut that. <laughs> Tom returns to the inn uh, after the party at Barthonis's, the party that Rand and co. were at, where they almost got eaten by Makinshin. When he gets back to his room, he's like, hey, Den is asleep. And then Den is doing the big sleep. And, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? And Tom is attacked by two people. He kills one without looking and threatens to torture the other one until he gets what he wants, which is, uh, hey, who did this? Um, guy was obviously lying. Tom's like, I'm going to have to go kill the king. And the innkeeper shows up and is like, no, don't, though. They have a little conversation here and Tom decides that he needs to leave Kyrie and asks the innkeeper to take care of the bodies, and he just kind of pieces out. So, presumably, he will show up at a later date. Yeah. So, this is some pretty textbook fridging of a character. It's a mm -hmm. little frustrating. She but. was going to be the first Glee woman. <laughs> and she was used as plot development for a man. I am yeah. shocked. This is such a radical, clearly new style of storytelling in which a man gets further development. I was so worried that we wouldn't hear more about Tom, and now I'm just feeling real great. I just really feel much better about him as a character now, that he's going to avenge a dead woman. Yeah, it's not... It's not creative, or... It's boring. Yeah, it's boring and not great it's disgusting yeah and the best part is as far as i can remember it holds basically zero value to the plot because i don't think she comes up more than one maybe two other times in the rest of the story yeah yeah it's not great i'm not surprised though the casual devaluing of women but if we just grant that this is what's happening i'm trying to think about tom's story as far as like we hear later that what he does with killing the king completely destabilizes the region so i guess denna got fridged for the plot of an entire continent i don't know if that's any better are we supposed to feel sympathy empathy feelings for the character himself like oh no he experienced tragedy with a younger relative who could who was male and could wield and then bad things happened to him oh no he's seeing these young shepherd boys going into the world learning more about themselves oh no his lover is dead maybe the problem is just that none of us are 150 year old men with mustaches to knuckle and so we just don't we're not able to relate. It's a possibility. I assume that empathy is the goal. Like, I'm sorry, I don't... I don't feel empathy for a generic, old, disgusting man. Yeah. He's not that disgusting. <laughs> He's disgusting in the casual way that we allow them to be. 
Wow. Going hard, huh? That's deep. I mean, what did you expect with these chapters? That's fair. This is far from... I think that the chapters in this section get better as time goes on, which is to say that this one is the worst. I mean, even the second half of this chapter is better than the first. Correct. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to say about Mustache? No, this section is just like a little generic and frustrating. We'll move on to the second half of this chapter, which is about Padden Fane. He is entering Falm with the chest that has the horn and the dagger. He makes his way to some guards uh, that are downtown. He reveals the chest, says, hey, look at this sick box I have. Let me present it to your guy in charge. And they're like, that is a pretty sick box. I like this little detail that the guards are suspicious of him because he isn't freaked out by their monster beasts. Yes. And fans like, a- they're not too bad. They're just, you know, compared to Trollocs, whatever. It's like, I bet that thing could kill Ryan Althor. <laughs> so yeah, it's just a cool little detail of mm-hmm. like the things that we know about Pat and Fane and the things we know about this culture, like intersecting. There's like a good amount of that in this section. Where it's like the things that we know about the characters in the world are intersecting really effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he gets the audience with Tarak, presents the box. It's like, soon I'll be able to even open it. Yeah. And Tarak, like, interrupts him by opening it. Casual. Fane is trying to worm his way into the graces of the High Lord. And then there's this huge stretch of dialogue that I summarized, but there's like so many good parts in it. I, I didn't want to cut out like an entire page of good dialogue, but I know that Jesse has some, his monologue, uh, like the whole rest of the chapter is Uh this very good, uh, discussion. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's like a couple notes is that like, First, once the chest is open, he's now desperately trying to get the dagger back. Mm-hmm. He says that the horn was a means to an end, but the dagger was a part of him. And I think I just appreciate that Padden Fane's character situation is evolving pretty quickly and in like new directions. That isn't necessarily something you expect with his character, even when you know that he's stolen the dagger but it's a cool additional thing for his character. And he does some things that are disadvantageous for him in this chapter because he wants the dagger. So it's just cool layering of motivations. And then there's the bit where he does monologue, where he completely lies about his life and says that his family has always been loyal uh, followers of Arthur Hawkwing in absentia. He talks about trying to make his voice convincing, and this might be considered a spoiler, but whatever. But later in the series, they talk about some of the personas that Fane takes on, and people don't find him convincing because he has a habit of changing accent mid-sentence. And I kind of like to think that's that this is where that begins. Uh, I feel like Tyler's he's sort of... giving me really intense prolonged eye contact. Oh yeah? Yeah. Do you feel like I'm spoiling? No, he feels like I'm Pat and Fane. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, maybe. Because I do I'm kind of... secretly super evil. Oops. 
maybe. I kind of wonder if he's, like, adopting their accent, like, unintentionally, trying to make himself more convincing for them. So, that's what I picked up on before they actually start, like, going back and forth about what the contents of the chest. Yeah, really simpering. I was kind of getting the feeling that um, in Pride and Prejudice, there's that one character at the beginning that tries to talk about Lady Catherine de Bourgh a bunch, and he just monologues forever on the Bible and her greatness. And then in Harry Potter, Wormtail, when he's trying to justify his betrayal, I kind of just blended those two together, where it's vaguely smart words that that person probably read a book once, but just simpering and oily and gross. Yeah. He's definitely Wormtail-ish. Also Wormtongue-ish. He's a mishmash of a lot of characters, but I don't hate him as a character. Uh, There's also some new information in here that whoever blows the Horn of Valir is linked to it thereafter, that so long as he or she lives, it is no more than a horn to any other. And that's some uh, new information that's worth keeping track of. Yes. I don't think it was mentioned before. I will murder you for the power of the horn. Yeah. (laughs) That is a concern. Very much a concern. Who's going to blow the horn? (laughs) Who do you think is going to blow the horn, Beyond? Rand. Maybe. It's a a good guess. uh, It would align with what we know. Would align with the rest of the series to this point. (laughs) Did you know it's secretly about Rand? Secretly. (laughs) Hush, hush. The pattern. There is a... There are a couple pieces of information about Sean Sean as, like, a place and culture in here as well. There are virtually no dark friends and absolutely no shadow spawn in Sean Sean. There's a group of people called the Listeners that are apparently, like, above everyone else and can just kill you and anyone could be a listener. Secret police. Yeah. Oof. You know what sounds real fun? Secret police. There is a long line of succession. I don't remember where Turak says he is in it, but it's... it's, like, 23rd or something. Yeah, it's something absurd. The second daughter... Fortuna, I believe he says, is currently at the top, and uh, Fane has the opportunity to play his cards right and be sent across the ocean with the horn as a gift for the Empress, may she live forever. Yeah, Fane is like, he says that he's shocked to hear that when Turok says, may she live forever, it sounds like he actually means it. Mm Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of really cool details like that in this chapter. I feel like the world and characters are really well integrated in this section. Yeah. Sean Sean is cool. I mean, not like the slavery thing <laughs> or the secret police thing. How did but you like, feel reading it, Beyond? Sean Sean is disgusting. Oh. But the way it is written is fascinating. And it is presented in a way that captivates the reader. Yeah, I... I legitimately enjoyed reading this and also you calling something in this book captivating actually gave me tingles the asmr tingles (laughs) um 
Yeah, it's, I mean, that that's what I'm interested in. I want to know how the world works. I want to know the law enforcement. I want to know the rules, the the social interactions, the way that things are. And the fact that the line of succession is so detailed is interesting. Things like that, it just builds into what is happening? Why do people act the way they do? Because we're so influenced by our environment and society. I can't wait to get to book four. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's like a, I'm not gonna, whatever. There's a lot of good stuff about that in book four. Yay. <laughs> get hyped. A couple months Actually, from now. Though. Yeah. More than that. Uh, anyway. Um, Fane. The last thing that happens is that Fane says, hey, there's this dark friend named Rand Althor uh, on his way, come steal the horn back. He's got Trollocs following him. A young man, but vile in the shadow beyond belief with a lying, devious tongue. (laughs) Sounds like Rand. (laughs) Um, Keep an eye out for this guy. He's vile. (laughs) Um, and that finishes up this chapter. A good part with Fane in it. Yeah. Surprisingly. I mean, Fane's pretty cool. Hmm. For a given <laughs> definition of cool. As in, yes. interesting to read. Yes. Complex. Intriguing. Well, I don't know about that. It's not really complex, more just like... Fun to read about how absurdly evil he is. Yeah. From a safe distance, afar. But there's value in that. Just being fun to read. I think that's where a lot of the value of the series does come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is just like unabashedly evil. So, chapter 35. Steading Sofu. That seems impossible to pronounce for me. I'm always just going to be saying something like shedding tofu. Uh, Are you shedding tofu? You're going to want to get that looked at, my dude. (laughs) This Ste- week on Chopped. <laughs> Steading Sofu. How I think is this spelled? T-S-O-F-U. I think it's because I'm trying to pr- pronounce the T uh, too hard. Maybe just say Steading Sofu. That's yes. easier. Yeah, Steading Sofu. I was trying to go like Sofu. To Sofu. 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 Sure. Whatever. Shedding tofu. I really want to know the linguistic inspirations because it seems to be westernized in some parts, like with Arthur Hawkwing. Arthur. Arthur Hawkwing. Um, And then things like Althor and Sofu and things like that. Well, it all got jumbled up. I mean, um, the steading names aren't old tongue, are they? I don't think so. I mean, there's... I mean, there's a very distinct old tongue syntax that it doesn't seem to follow. Yeah, that's true. Was he just like, it needs to be kind of exotic, so... Sofu. One of the other steading names they mentioned, I don't remember what it was. It sounds vaguely French. Like, there's an O-I sound that's like a wah. Hmm. Whatever. There are many steadings. We learn about them in this chapter. Yes. So Rand and Co. are heading back towards uh, this setting. <laughs> um, they're going to get there in... It's only like a couple days away from Kyrian. They get there, Rand notices a sense of loss, but he can't quite put his finger on why. 
Loyal tells everyone about the longing. Yes. And then Rand says, do you need to stay here a while? There's no need to kill yourself to go with us. And just another note in Rand literally cares more about Loyal than anyone else. <laughs> like me. <laughs> Pushing Matt and Perrin to the ground. <laughs> Loyal, do you need help? <laughs> I mean, Pat, I just combined their names, sorry. Matt is very needy, and Perrin can just be one with the wolves. But he so... doesn't want to be one with the wolves. But he can. <laughs> he could. <laughs> we'll see what happens next book when someone decides to be one with the wolves. Feral. Yes. Um, there's another bit. You're sort of talking about like Matt being needy and Perrin having his own issues. Um, there's a quote that I pulled that I'll read. I'm not sure if I'll keep the whole thing. But um, it says, it's a bunch of like dialogue between the characters. Three friends, then. You are my friends, I hope. Loyal spoke up. I am, Rand said simply, and Perrin nodded. Matt laughed. How could I not be friends with somebody who dices so badly? He threw up his hands when Rand and Perrin looked at him. Oh, all right. I like you, Loyal. You're my friend. Just don't go on about... Ah, sometimes you're as bad to be around as Rand. His voice sank to a mutter. At least we're safe here in a steading. Rand grimaced. He knew what Matt meant. Here in a steading where I can't channel. Perrin punched Matt's shoulder, but looked sorry that he had when Matt grimaced at him with that gaunt face. So we sort of get moments for all three of the boys showing how fragile they are, and mm -hmm. just sort of... They have this friendship with each other, but they have all this baggage going already that makes it impossible for them to, like, truly get along. Yeah. Like, they're very fragile boys. They were friends in a very specific environment, but now that that has changed and their paths are diverging, it is hard to maintain the same sense of camaraderie. I don't know if that's how I would characterize it. Like... Perrin is concerned that he is going to stop being human, and Rand is concerned that he's going to destroy the world, and Matt is, like, given a wasting disease by the concept of man's violence to man that is going to, like, destroy his body to nothingness. And we're only a book and a half in. Yeah. I don't know that it's like, you know, now that we're not the three sickest dudes in this town of 20 people i think it's more just like they got some stuff going on i need to unpack this trauma yeah essentially but it's sort of sad to see because we hear all about like what good friends they are but they have so much going on that it's impossible for them to be friends i sure hope they get to meet up and talk later once they have worked through many of their problems maybe there's an alternate universe where that happens flicker <laughs> all right anyway the plot we are half a bullet point into this chapter so while they're in here they meet a female ogier who looks very similar uh, i think she has slightly smaller eyebrows <laughs> okay uh and loyal is flustered yeah he's like she's so beautiful and matt's like sure dude <laughs> whatever you say so the female Ogier tells them, since you're all armed, we can only let a few named characters in. And so they <laughs> pick the most important and everybody else stays outside. Uh, I think Huron and Ingtar are the only two to come in to the setting out of the soldiers. 
So when they arrive in town, there's um, there's a lot of description about what a steading looks like. If you've it's read pretty Lord much of the Shire, Rings, yeah, I was gonna say it's like a mix of the Shire and Rivendell. Medieval fantasy, yeah, <laughs> '90s fantasy, great. Um, and then there are some maidens there, like maidens of the spear, not like maidens. <laughs> Fair maiden. Um. They Aiel, to be clear. Yes. They uh we've heard about them. They're ready to stab you. Oh, yeah, they like are about to kill everybody present. And while they're about to kill everyone present, Matt says, Are you two crazy? I don't care if they are Aiel, they're women. And it begins yes. a plot point about the boys being unwilling to fight women. Well, it's like a cultural thing. Is it? If it makes you feel any better, they suffer greatly <laughs> for that character flaw. As they deserve. <laughs> but is it portrayed as a character flaw, or are they just, like, so heroic because they won't hurt a woman? That, like, so they'll bring, the they'll bring misfortune upon themselves, be- even knowingly, because they're so heroic they won't hurt a woman. No, it's very much like a, what are you doing? <laughs> Kill this person. And they're like, no, she's a woman. Like, you... I totally hear what you're saying. I feel like sometimes characters take it as that. <laughs> but, like, on a meta level... It is, I do not think that it is presented as a positive. Like, I think that it almost exclusively harms them because they will not hurt women. This woman burned woman has a womb that I cannot attack. (laughs) Was that too far? But, yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll have to see some examples before we can make judgment. Well, get hyped for ten books from now. (laughs) All right. I'll call back to this. Okay, so they're getting ready for battle. The maidens are definitely capable of killing everyone present, except maybe Varen. Uh, oh, wait, Varen can't channel. They're probably capable of killing everyone present. And an older Ogier steps between the two groups and is like, don't, please. Snaps them out of their battle lust because they've covered their faces and are ready to murder. Yes. Boy, I sure hope we get some backstory about that. We will. Thanks. Great. But it is interesting on how they mention because their faces were covered, it's amazing that they were able to be stopped. Yeah. So that's interesting. It makes me wonder about, because we already know that Aiel are super good fighters, so to what extent is their, like, battle lust? It's not necessarily a lust so much as it's just, like... Readiness. Yeah, like you weren't strong enough to stop me from killing you and therefore you deserved to die weak kind of yeah okay and they don't like rand having a sword yes because he looks like an aiel and he's holding a sword and that's bad there is also a bit in here about rand not being able to sense sidene and feeling like there is an emptiness inside of him which I just wanted to point out because it means that even though he doesn't want to channel, it is too late to gentle him and have him be better than he was before. Sucks to suck, dude. He's got the taste for it. Yes. 
this he, this intensity of needing Sadir continues also in later chapters with the girls talking about how they have to feel like they have to or else i mean it's kind of drug-like yeah. right like it enhances your perceptions and you feel great i was just like these are just a bunch of magic addicts yeah i mean it's like at least with the girls moderate use won't drive them insane yeah. really just their main concern is not like channeling so much at once they'll burn to ash yeah or like worse not be able to channel but still be alive i would assume that like burning yourself to ashes requires an intense amount of the power probably more than any of them can do aren't they supposedly some of the most powerful potential people yeah but i don't think i mean certainly not now like they mentioned that as you channel you get stronger um until you hit your limit and so i think that's the thing is like maybe once they hit their limits if they were trying really hard they could do it but get just getting an ave real angry yeah ran so they're the two groups are split up maidens you go that way named characters you go that way Rand, Matt, Perrin, and Loyal are led to a room where they are waiting for this meeting with their elders. They have a minute to sit and talk, and Loyal talks a lot about Ogier marriage customs. Which, great. Yeah. Very interesting. says, among us, men do the choosing, and no wife can stop a man doing what he wants. And then Rand says... Do you really remember your father doing anything your mother really didn't want him to? Which is some more of that, like, 90s boomer logic about gender. Because mm. they act like this is gender, but really just not doing something your partner really doesn't want you to do is just being in a respectful relationship, regardless of your gender. Yeah. But ha ha, in, angry wife. Yeah, but we're in Everyone Loves Raymond, so this is about, like, henpecking wives. Disgusting. <laughs> Anyways... Anyways, so that's the end of uh, that, and we move on to chapter 36, Among the Elders. Probably the only, like, real nothing chapter in this section. No, there's at least one more. So the four stooges are led to the elders. Why did I write the four stooges? Loyal isn't even there. Oh, because they're led to the elders, and then Loyal's like, no, I'm gonna sit outside. I'm just gonna read this book while everyone stares at me. It's fine. The boys continue on. They make their case uh, to the elders about using the waygate and bring Loyal with them, saying that they need him. And the elders bring out someone who got got by Makinshin. And the boys are like, yeah, that seems pretty bad, but we still got to do it. It's like, we also knew this already. Yeah. Like, we're well aware of the whole Makinshin thing. He basically, the, the Ogier just got dementored. Yeah, but like permanent dementored. Unless that's what a dementor does. The, the dementor's kiss, where they suck out your soul. I didn't realize that that was permanent. I thought it was like a temporary, hey, you're sad. Nah, that's just being near them. Listen. The dementor's kiss in Harry Potter rips out your soul. It's been a while. It's not relevant. They succeed in talking with the elders and convincing them, hey, we need the waygate, hey, we need loyal. And they leave the meeting. We get a bit of fun with this group. I think this is where loyal mentions that the 
female Ogier that led them in was uh, very attractive to him. And there's something about Matt being like, pretty girls talk to me all the time. Remember this girl? She was pretty. She talked to me. And Perrin said she had the face of a goat. Yeah. What? What is it? I mean, it's very, it's very teenaged. Yes. They are 18, which, as we've discussed, they don't know anything. So the group goes to the Waygate, uh, including all of the soldiers. And when they open it, Makinshin is there again. Shock. Shock Pikachu. Yeah. Uh, Varen speculates that it will always be wherever Rand is. And the group instead decides to use a portal stone. This will be fun. And also fine. So chapter 37, what might be? This chapter's really good. Yeah. Uh, so the whole group goes to the nearby portal stone. Varen and Rand have a conversation when they, like, they huddle up at the stone. Um, Varen pretends like she's going to do it. And it's just bring Rand to, hey, you used it more recently. Do you have any advice? But she's, like, whispering, I, I don't know how to do this. This is all you. Varen is the best in general for this whole thing. Rand opens up some more about his use and desire to use Sidene. Uh, it's all really good. Yeah. And Varen says, as my father would have said, it's time to roll the dice. Hmm. Waggles eyebrows at future books. Yeah. She's like pointing at Matt in the stands. <laughs> So finally, Rand gets the stone to work, but something is wrong, and I love that throughout this, we're, like, cutting in with Varen's sentence about how something is going wrong. It's so flaming good. It's really good. <laughs> uh, Bion, I want to hear your thoughts. I was just like, this is a bunch of fan fictions. It is. But it it's is a bunch. <laughs> yeah. It's like multiverse say you sort of mm -hmm. what is time this is what your life could have been is being yeah um every one of these scenes ends with rand's death followed by a voice saying i win again lose theron and then a flicker to another one yeah so just in general before we start getting into the details of like each of these to. visions um I feel like this really demonstrates that when Robert Jordan forces himself to make things happen fast, it makes you realize that he really does have cool ideas. Yeah, like, it's just usually every event requires 200 pages of backstory. Yeah, like I could imagine reading an entire book or an entire series about like Andorran General Rand or Weirdo Hermit Rand. Yeah. Like those feel like complete ideas. Tyler's laughing because I just made a face, but I'm thinking I might actually view this more positively if I view it as a fan fiction, because this is the type of writer that writes, like, 500,000 words of a one-shot. <laughs> and you're just like, all right, I guess. I'll let you do that. I'll, I'll, I'll read it sometime, maybe. <laughs> I mean, this is, like... <sighs> Not to get all down on it, but, like, this kind of is the fanfiction structure, right? Like, you start out writing one thing, and you know how you want it to end, but then, like, you get bogged down in the details 
in the middle so long that like hey honestly like no joke rest in peace robert jordan but like you fucking die <laughs> beyond you like you're nodding this is the yeah. structure right like yeah there's, you, there's... you start with the group of characters and you slowly add on more and more until you have 2500 named characters and this series lasts for like 30 years because you kept writing in more details about the world there's some fix that'll just go um abandoned for like five years and then casually the author will show up with another hundred thousand words being like hey i got inspired again would you say maybe sometimes like the author dies and another author that they handpicked steps in to there's actually it? been a couple like that yeah well some some fan fiction authors that has happened have you read the fan fiction like that called the wheel of time um, I believe I'm reading this series right now. It's in a collection. Okay. Yeah. 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 It even got printed. <laughs> yeah. It even got printed. <laughs> wow, they really made it big. Um, I've already got picked up by this company called Amazon. Yeah. Wow. Something, something, Fifty Shades of Grey. All right. So about these visions. About these visions. Um, I mean, I wasn't going to talk about them specifically. The only thing I was going to say is that I counted and there are 35 flickers. Uh, so like at least everyone present goes through at least 35 lifetimes in this span of what to them is long enough for Varen to say one sentence. So, That's a really fascinating number to choose. I mean, I think it was just like... The number he wrote of, flicker a bunch of times yeah i think it just happened to be 35 times that he wrote the word flicker but i went through and checked because that implies 36 total existences minimum i mean these are not i don't know that these are like actual elseworlds i think these are just like i mean they might be the portal stone has however many that's what i was taking out because they're so distinct from each other and the different lives that rand has lived both um, still in the two rivers, outside of it, different occupations, things like that. So that's I, I took it to mean legitimately there's at least 35. So we can go with the fact that there's at least 36 potential worlds at any point in time, which is six squared, which is cool, but I don't know if it's a magically significant number. It's probably just the aesthetic of Flickr. Yeah. But um, it's fascinating. I like considering it. Yeah. So the ones that get the most detail are the ones where Rand stays in the two rivers and marries Egwene and they have like a life together, but then she dies and isn't able to keep him from going mad. And then he participates in Tarman Gaiden as yeah. like an old madman. Yeah. And then there's another one where Egwene dies from not being able to control the power. And then he goes off to become an Endoran general. And that's actually a really cool one. I could imagine reading a book about that where he yeah. like has the secret that he can, he knows he can channel. And like, actually this is pretty much stormlight archives. Never oh, is it? Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I didn't know I would read this cause that's stormlight archives. Um, well, we'll get to reading stormlight archives in 12 books. <laughs> yeah. So those are like the bigger ones, but like some of the smaller details I picked out was a life that ends with Egwene, with tears in her eyes, plunged a dagger into his heart, and he thanked her as he died. And then, he loved other women, married other women, 
Elaine and men, and a fair-haired farmer's daughter he met on the road to Camelin, and women he had never seen before he had lived those lives. Is she really fair hair? I would imagine that the hair was pretty dark from all the saliva. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, um, it's still true. It'd just be dishwater blonde, it's fine. Uh, Ew. And there's also a life where he was born in the threefold land and just lived as an Aiel. Yeah, that, I mean, it's all, these are all very good. I just didn't include them because I didn't want to, like, spend forever breaking down. Yeah, I'm not going to break them down. It's just, I think they're worth noting and are cool and I would read them. Yeah, totally. Interestingly enough, I don't know, maybe the, I feel like the one where he's just an Aiel would almost be one of the less interesting ones. But maybe that's just because I already know what the Aiel are like. It, well, I mean, it'd be interesting for me because I could understand. What are the Aiel? Who are these magic genders? Yes. What do they do? Magic genders? The Weasleys. Aren't they ginger? God, I thought you said genders. Yes, ginger. they are ginger. Yes, They, they are, are all like blonde or uh, redheads. Anyway, Flicker. Uh, the world finally stops flickering, and everyone is around the portal stone on Tom and Head. And they're every- very shook. Yeah, like everybody's having a breakdown. Even Varen. Which, anytime you get to see an Ace Sedai just be completely shook is really a good time. And Matt insists that he would never sell out Rand. Yeah, that was definitely one of my favorites, was that Matt's, like, first reaction is to go and, like, apologize and plead to Rand that he wouldn't do that. I would never Judas you. Yeah. Even though I just saw that I would. At least 35 times. <laughs> also, it took them... it To them, it was... I don't know, like, 15 seconds at most... Uh, but in the real world, it was like four months that they were gone. So they lost time on doing this. Yeah, this was actually worse than just walking. <laughs> it was cooler than reading about them walking for four months, though. Describing the grass. You the know. Ground, you know he would have. And the sound of animals in the distance, barking and howling and crying. You know we would have gotten that. But that chapter is over, and now we move on to the girls. Ladies. Yeah, now we get now we get three chapters of the Wonder Squad. Yes, the Supergirls. So chapter thirty-eight, practice. Uh, Wearing a white dress is extremely impractical. Cute, but impractical. Well, well not if like you're an, going if outside. you're an accepted, you're not the ones like scrubbing dishes like the novices are. Yeah, unless you did something bad. I thought. Only Nenave was the accepted, and Egwene and the other E's were uh, novices. Yeah. But Nenave's so they... the one wearing a white dress. The novices wear, like, brown dresses. I thought Egwene was wearing a white dress. That might be, like, after they escape. We'll have to consult. I'm pretty sure within the first couple sentences, it details her wearing a white dress. We'll consult the archives. <laughs> But that's not very practical, but it is very interesting immediately how much intensity Egwene feels for the magic and the need to use it and the compulsion to do so. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's Egwene. So Egwene, the Naven Min are all in 
Egwene's room as she practices with the power, which she's not supposed to be doing. She and Min are bantering about what a lad Galad is. <laughs> Min says, Galad is so good he'd make you tear your hair out. He'd hurt a person because he had to serve a greater good. He wouldn't even notice who was hurt because he'd be so intent on the other. But if he did, he would expect them to understand and think it was all well and right. Man, this character trait must really be setting up for something, huh? Disgusting. <laughs> I really dislike those types of characters. Galad turns out to not be as bad, I think. It just takes a while. <laughs> Elaine enters the room and joins in with the practice. They're like juggling balls of light back to each other. The four of them discuss the fear of burning out their ability to channel by doing it unsupervised when Neneve starts to scold them. And then Min's like, hey, let's not talk about that. Instead, let's talk about how I suddenly have a rating that you're all in grave danger. Thanks, Min. In regards to the juggling the light, um, just in regards to magic, Egwene created said balls of light, yes? I think... Elaine creates a couple okay. more, but yes. Yes. So when they're juggling them, they're little spheres of their magic, and then they can also control the others' created little spheres of magic? Um, yeah, I am a little unclear on that. They are probably taught that, like... My understanding is that the idea is, like, they're either tying off this very small weave... Or they're, like, the weave itself creates these balls of light for a certain amount of time, and then because it's, like, tossed, somebody can grab it and put more power into it and, like, re-up the timer on it. Mm. Um, it's obviously not clear on which, but that would be my guess as to how this is happening. Because I know it's something they're just casually doing, but it brings up interesting questions about how how does that concentration and forming of these light balls and then being able to just throw them around like the end of others do it and add on to it. It's it's just interesting for the like actual practical application of their magic. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. To my knowledge, you can't if one of them was weaving something, somebody else can't step in and like add something to the weave that would mess with it. That might just be because nobody does it? It might Seems be, a little rude. Well, it might be because it's super dangerous. I know they mentioned that, like, there are some weaves later on in the series where if you mess it up or, like, once it's woven, if you try to unweave it, it will, like, explode and kill everyone in, you know, a pretty solid area. So, like, it, it might just be too dangerous to try and mess with somebody's weave like that. I know that often what happens instead is, like, you know, somebody will send a weave towards someone else's an attack, and that person will counter by, like, using other threads to just sever the weave, which is... By the way, Tyler, dangerous. the word weave has not been used in this series yet. Oh, well, I mean, it... Is it a spoiler? You mean, it, it hasn't been the will... The, the wheel wills as the wheel weaves if well like different but yes i mean it's not like i don't think it's later spoiler, on in that's the series not the when they're explaining thing. magic they talk about it in terms of using weaves of yeah. certain elements and stuff like that i think that that's when they get deeper into like magic is represented as threads and weaving is the 
completely gender inclusive way to a, to deal with magic not just the explicitly female safe to touch magic correct yeah because like all of the magic is represented as the five elements used as individual threads and then you are weaving together the effect that you want from the threads but like i don't think it's a spoiler because it's not a thing that's like the um, i'm just saying you, you're just using parlance that we don't necessarily know what you mean oh whoops this is an example of when I don't know what Beyond doesn't know. I know nothing. Except many things. But not nothing about the story. I guess I just wanted some clarification on how that all worked. But I'm sure yeah, I was I was a little learn. unclear on that too. But oh. I'm just not the type of person to be like, huh. But I did notice that as well. I was like, wait, they're passing them back and forth? How does that work? Yeah, I would assume that it's one of the two things that I said. Although sometimes the lights wink out, so it's probably not that they're tied off. It is probably like, you know, this ball of light lasts for three seconds if nobody's powering it, and so I toss it to you, and you have three seconds to, like, pay attention, pour power into it while holding it, and then toss it back. That's some intense hot potato. Well, that's the idea, is they need to be able to, like, juggle all of these weaves. And that's time. why they're not supposed to do it without supervision. Yeah. <laughs> Also, there's a moment when they're talking and Elaine says, besides, if you leave Rand lying about Luce, I might have a chance to pick him up. I don't think either of us are going to have him, Egwene said sadly. Then we'll find whoever he does choose and make her life miserable. But he couldn't be fool enough to choose someone else when he could have one of us. For me, this is just woof. This is strange. Is this like, what is this what girls are like? <laughs> is this girls? It's like, this just feels unhuman. Like, it feels like an anime when they have girls panic about their breast sizes. <laughs> like, much. Um, th- this felt a bit like that. Speaking this of is which, just strange. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, there's a part in this conversation where Elaine says that anybody that looks at Min twice would not mistake her for uh, being male. Which, like, what are you trying to say, Elaine? Like, is Min? She can't just be that pretty, right? She has to be, like, mub-breasts. Nobody? Well, she's also short, right? That's true. She could just be a short, pretty boy. Very, very pretty, apparently. I'm assuming that what Elaine is saying is that Min is stacked. Because, <laughs> like, right? I mean, I'm not trying to, like, be weird about it. I'm saying... <laughs> maybe it's weird <laughs> that late. I picked it out. But, like... <laughs> Why are you talking about the 16-year-old so intensely? Min's age is not mentioned. We said last week, Min is whatever age you want her to be, and I'm assuming that she is of more than legal age. I'm cutting this. Please. No, I like, this came out weirder than I meant, but, like, it seems like my point wasn't like, oh, man, it's sick that Min is hot. My point was like... <laughs> No, seriously. What you mean? My right, like that's my point. Like Elaine, what are you trying to say that like Min is so obviously feminine in her body shape that nobody would confuse her for male? Like it's just a weird thing to throw out there. She's the potentially sa- affirming the femininity. Maybe, but like it it felt very in the same vein of like we'll find whoever he does pick and make her life miserable where it's like this doesn't feel like a thing that someone would say. Yes. Or like, it's a weird beat to hit from a boomer writing a woman talking to another woman about being a woman. 
I walked down the street, my 34B breasts jiggling <laughs> along the way. They boobed breastily. <laughs> I felt my womb move in hysterics. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Leandrin comes in. <clears throat> yeah, Leandrin comes into the room um, and sends Elaine and Min away. So she's grilling Aggie and Nene for a bit um, about Rand and their life uh, before telling them to meet her later. Uh, they're going to Tom and Head to try and help Rand, Matt, and Perrin. Also, she says the Black Aja exists. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Nothing about this behavior is suspicious. You should follow me. Yeah. Don't tell anyone. Follow me. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Let's go. You are not allowed to see the letters that Moraine supposedly wrote. Yeah. So as soon as Leandrin leaves, Min and Elaine come back. Uh, they listened through the wall because there are holes in the wall big enough to hear through, but not big enough to notice. They insist that they're coming too. Very uh, fellowship of the ring. Ashley. Oh, okay, sure, <laughs> that too. Um, the four of them agree to go, and they begin planning. Hold on, Rand. Hold on, you wool-headed idiot. I'll help you somehow. Yeah. This, I think, is the actual nothing chapter. The next one. Chapter 39, Flight from the White Tower. Uh, I got through this one in two bullet points. They dress up cute and do the sneaky sneak. Yeah. <laughs> um, we get the first glimpse of the Elaine-Nenave dichotomy, where Nenave is like, do what I say, spend no money, and Elaine <laughs> pays someone to... Do what I say. Do what I say, and also is nice about it. We get to see a lot of them. Yes. Both have their place, it's just... It's just that they both think that their place is always. Yeah. So they go to meet Leandrin. When they in get there. Ogier Grove. And then he was like, where are we going? Yeah. Uh, when they get there, she informs them that they'll be taking the ways to get to Tom and Head. Hey, look, it's the ways again. Nothing could go wrong. No Makin Shin. Um, it's still hanging out waiting for Rand somewhere. It's a couple days' journey through the ways. Uh, Leandrin is a pretty bad traveling companion. <laughs> she, like, She's kicks sulking. them awake. <laughs> yeah. She kicks them awake. She, like, sits down and waits for them to make camp and feed her. But after a couple days, they arrive. There's a conversation that I picked out during this where Elaine is talking to Egwene. And she says, Egwene, what if, after all you're going through for him, Rand doesn't marry you? What if he marries some woman you've never seen before? Or Elaine, or me? What then? Oh, I guess Min is saying this. And then Elaine says, No doubt you'll choose the green Aja and make him one of your warders. The only greens I know with, only one warders are married to them. And this is just so bizarre. Can one scene make the rest of a book retroactively fail the Bechdel test? <laughs> like, like, actually asking. <laughs> The, the Bechdel test in general is just a way of assessing if something can fulfill a basic need, which is... I know. <laughs> so it's like, I, I would not use this book as an example of something that passes that easily. I mean, there's just so much content 
that involves female characters, it's almost impossible to not pass the Bechdel test. I'm just yeah. saying that this conversation deserves to take that like very minimal certificate away from it. Your smallest, tiniest sliver of a star has been revoked. <laughs> I think most other books in the series pass. No, I think I think all of these books pass the Bechdel test, but as Beyond says, that's like the bare minimum. Yeah. It's just like, can you write a character? You did it. Yeah, yeah I think it's... It's like, if you write a thousand-page book that doesn't pass the Bechdel test at some point, like, holy. So, like, Robert Jordan can at least do that, but it's just this one conversation, like, blew my mind of, like, how, like, the opposite of what the Bechdel test looks for. How aggressively it's, like, Girls like boys. Red, 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 Essentially. Yeah, it's... It could be better. There's a reason I didn't put any of it in my notes. Essentially, whenever I bring that kind of stuff up, like, it's partially that, like, the gender stuff bugs me, and also partially that it's just, like, bad writing that bugs me. Mm-hmm. So. It's just disappointing. Yeah. Because, like, sometimes you get good stuff. Flicker. Yeah. But sometimes you get... Ha ha ha. Heterosexuality. Do you get it? Chapter 40. Daymain, and not any other pronunciation. This is sort of an oh shit chapter title if you're connecting the dots. Yeah. This is the bad thing. I hope you're ready for some bad times. Egwene's about to have a no good, very bad day. <laughs> Danger. Uh, so, Egwene is the first one out of the way gate. Um, she finds a large group of Shanshan waiting including two Daymane with their handlers, uh, two handlers without Daymane, and someone named the High Lady Seroth, who looks... Is a friend of the dark. Yes. Uh, So everybody else comes out, uh, and Leandrin is like, here they are. I brought you another one, too. And a spare. And a spare. And, like... Everything happens all at once, which is just, I think, a product of Egwene not understanding what's happening. Nene, well, she hasn't been introduced this before. Like, we know as the readers about it, but like... Yeah, all I meant was like, Egwene is not aware of her surroundings at this point. Like, it's very sudden, which I think is why it comes off as like, she blinks and then the next thing she knows, Nenev and uh, Elaine are gone Min is, like, on the ground, having been beaten, and uh, Egwene has a collar around her neck. It's, like, very sudden. Bion, I want to hear your thoughts on sort of all of this. Uh, if you have any. Leandrin wins never, ever a feminist ever, actively working <laughs> against women, uh, not to be trusted. Um... Leandrin is the woman being like, I don't think we should have a woman president. <laughs> yeah, I don't think women should vote. I don't think women should have rights. That's that's what Leandrin is. We should all just follow the dark one and he will provide for us all. Um, I think oh, that it's... That sounds very familiar. <laughs> I think it's really scary 
in a sense of suddenly this happens mm-hmm. and um, things have been moving kind of slowly and there's hints that magic can be kind of scary and like, yeah, you could probably destroy yourself. Oops. But the way that it just suddenly happens and then you thought you were here to save your weird shepherd boyfriend <clears throat> And instead, you've been collared, and you try to fight back, but it hurts you. And then these people are talking down to you, and they're just talking about how they'll use you, and you're basically glorified tool, and it's... That's a Not lot. even glorified. No. I mean, if you're, like, a really good tool, you might be sent back to Shanchan as, like, a prize. To make more things to turn other people into you. Yeah. Which is awful. Not only being enslaved, but then being forced to make things to enslave others. Yeah. That is terrifying and scary and sad and frustrating. And reflective of how a lot of cultures have treated their enslaved people, prisoners, etc. This says a lot about our society. (laughs) well i mean it is reflected in how we treat the prison populations we use them as manual labor um but yeah i've definitely read fantasy stories where there were similar things where there was a magic person whose magic was too powerful so they needed to be chained but these people it's not that their magic is too powerful it's just that they're just captured and used well it's that too powerful is sort of in quotation marks they say that the reason why this is is because if people are if women are allowed to channel and survive they would threaten the power of the empress may she live forever so which implies that the the empress isn't that powerful and it's well no it implies that like an asadi that knew what they were doing could just kill you instantly like there there is no defense against an asadi that wants to kill you and isn't bound by the three oaths you just die like. Which is why they are a Roth domain, ones who must be collared. Yes. It's really... Is that the word? Yes, it is. Good job. Considering how you must raise people in a world, raise women to understand that the moment you express something, like potentially being able to channel the power, it is your duty, need, etc., to be collared and obedient to someone else for the rest of your life. It is just, that is what it is. And it just makes me think about when this was first implemented, how was it able to become so? Who enforced it? I think they talk about it, right? Yeah. Well, uh, Archer Hawkwing's son waged a war against the White Tower. One of the Aes Sedai turned and created the first Adam. And then it was used against her, which is like, no man is worth that, friend. Why would you do that? You, You just destroyed yourself. And he destroyed countless others. There's a good explanation. We'll get to it. They said her screams shook the Towers of Midnight. Hmm. Yeah, because hmm. he did something extremely inhumane and destructive. And you thought you'd be immune, but you're not. Because they're not to be trusted. All I know is every now and then I see a phrase that I know is a name of a book later. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> There's a book later called The Towers of Midnight. I don't know why this is significant, but... I wonder if they'll be shook by her screams. It's when you read something that sometimes gives you a visceral reaction. This chapter gave me some visceral reactions of... 
Well, maybe yeah, we should it's... finish the chapter and then we can talk about your visceral reactions. Because I'd love to hear more about it. So are we like going in order or? Yeah. Well, I think at this point I'm going to try. So some fun facts about the Adam. The person holding the bracelet can cause and sense any feelings or sensations within the leashed one. And any damage felt by the bracelet holder is felt doubled by the leashed one. The person that holds the bracelet is the soul dam, and the other one is the damain. Landrin and Suroth are clearly serving the same someone. Uh, Our shared master. Yes. Uh, someone besides Tarak. I wonder who it could be. I know Bion is drinking water, but Bion, any thoughts? On, not like a specific person, but like... What do you think they mean? It's a fire-eyed purple dude. Yeah. I, Still I mean, not purple, but yes. I'm just imagining him as, like, purple raisin Thanos with fire eyeballs. Yeah, I know. It's a pretty easy pull. It makes it more amusing for me mm-hmm. to vision. Suroth recalls the soldiers uh, from their search for Nenev and Elaine, who escaped into the woods... Somebody, one of the soldiers asks to kill Min, since she hurt him, um, before Egwene begs to have her left alive, and in exchange she will learn about being a daemon and be good and follow orders. They begin their journey back to Falm, and we learn about the first Adam, which we talked about, um, which allows the daemon soldam system, made a thousand years ago. It can also cause like intense continuous amounts of pain which is apparently a good just incentive. as like a neat feature yeah a back of the box feature just one of the bullet points it's just another way to maintain the power dynamic yeah yeah a lot of this is like he robert jordan is like telling us essentially this bullet list of all of the rules of the way the Adam works mm-hmm. and essentially it, the idea is that when you put it all together it creates like a like a logical loop of why the system is able to work and be maintained and why it's useful yeah which is pretty interesting yeah it's better than like it works because it works it like at least has internal consistency yeah uh Egwene's handler i don't remember her name Neither do um I. starts um, with an r uh, wait, I think I have it. Rena. Rena. Yeah. Rena. So Rena says, do you have enough control yet to channel at that distance? She pointed to a tall oak standing alone on a hilltop. Egwene frowned at the tree, perhaps half a mile from the line, followed by the soldiers in Suroth's palanquin. She'd never tried anything much beyond arm's reach, but she thought it might be possible. I don't know, she said. And Rena says, try. And... I'm going to like do a little bit of spoilage, but like later in this book, we see that Egwene being a domain has dramatically increased her capacity and control for the power. Mm-hmm. And this sort of uh, perspective of like, I don't know if I can do it. And her handler just says, well, try. It's very distinct from what the White Tower does, where it's like, if we don't know you can do it, you're not going to do it. But the domain system, which is so driven by, like, using someone beyond their potential, 
with someone like Egwene, whose potential is so high, it just makes her develop very, very quickly. Yeah. So we're going to see Egwene get real powerful real quick by being a slave. Eh. But yeah. Yeah, the slavery makes it better. <laughs> this just in, Robert Jordan condones slavery. I think it's just Unlikely. that, like, it's just this particular brand of slavery is insanely intense training. Yeah, this is the training montage. But a training montage of, like, despair and humiliation and dehuman dehumanization. As all the best training montages are. So, now we cut to Egwene and Anave uh, out in the woods. Elaine. What did I say? Egwene. Nenev and Elaine, uh, out in the woods. Uh, they've both escaped being captured. Uh, Elaine mentions that, like, she was within view of the Shanshan soldiers, but um, they turned around for whatever reason. Well, they uh, heard the horn. I know. Uh, well, she heard the horn, too. She. Oh, does she? I don't remember if she put it together, but I'll believe you. They discuss their plan for how to free Egwene and Min, and they start making their way to Falm on one horse, I believe. Yeah, there's a bit where Elaine is like, I only have 20 gold pieces. This will only last us like two weeks. And the knave is like, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rich people. The knave is essentially saying, wow, you're privileged. Yeah, like you don't know how to not spend money. Like, it's essentially the Lucille Blue thing, where mm -hmm. it's like, it's one banana. How much could it cost? Ten dollars? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> now I'm just imagining Elaine as Lucille Bluth. Don't. We can't do this. We have to finish the podcast. We're, we have to talk about Arrested Development off-air. <laughs> uh, so, speaking of which, that ends this episode. Uh, there's no... That's the end of chapter 40, and um, next week we're going to do... We're going to finish it. 41 through 50, whatever. We're going to finish this. Yes. Does Elaine... A bit. Does, does our best friend Aggie escape the slavery by the end of the chapter? You'll just have to read and find out. You could read it. Hey, here's a thought. If you want to know the answer, you are free to read it before... 30 minutes before the podcast starts. <laughs> but I don't want to. <laughs> well, that sounds too bad. You want to know if she escapes. More just it makes me really uncomfortable to read. Well, I mean, luckily, it's supposed to. Yeah, it's... I don't think there's any, like, condoning of the system. I think it's yeah. pretty universally presented as, like, the only people that are okay with it are not people you should be listening to either because they've been brainwashed and they're day main or they've been brainwashed and they're any other Sean Sean. Like the only day main that support it are convinced that they are like as dangerous as male channelers. Yeah. So luckily that's just an artifact of good writing. Yeah. It makes you feel something. I don't like feelings. <laughs> this just in good to know um but yeah i'm sure i'll have more to say with the end as the way you've been hyping it up 
a lot of stuff happens right at the end. <laughs> like, I mean, Jesse, I'm going to throw out a percentage. I would say like a solid 40%, 40 to 50% of like the major events of this book happen in these last 10 chapters. Uh, maybe. I mean, nothing else happens in the book except we go to a place and the horn is either there or it is not. <coughs> anyway. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like we had more to say this time than last time. Yeah, and I feel like next time is going to be another one where we have a lot to go on. So, Jesse, I heard we got another review. Yeah, we did. That's exciting. So we got a review from iTunes user Icornshin1992 with a review called Pure Dude Magic. So is there a real thing? Beyond is grinning. Nice. Uh, The review says, as fond as I am of Wheel of Time, it is really nice to hear a non-binary perspective on the settings of weird gender essentialism. Five stars. Thanks, Icornshin. Cool to hear from you. And I do love the phrase pure dude magic it makes me chuckle it continues to be sort of the main it's sort of our thesis statement for the podcast (laughs) i named one of my neopets pure dude magic so oh nice also beyond's been playing neopets for like multiple weeks i've I've played it for a month and it's very nostalgic so yeah speaking of itunes reviews yeah. Thanks so much for reviewing us on iTunes. It helps people see it. And we love hearing what people think about the podcast. We love hearing from people. Another way that we can hear from you and you can hear from us is our Twitter, which is at Wheel Reading, which I'll have in the description. And we just love hearing from anyone who listens. So feel free. Yeah, we always love to hear it. Um, this has been The Third Wheel. Uh, I'm Tyler. I'm Beyond. And I'm Jesse. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.